I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And on today's show, it's a mailbag edition, meaning you guys submit your questions either on duckterritory.com or you hit up Eric Scopel on Twitter or you simply use the hashtag on social media, Autzen, hashtag Autzen Audibles, and we will find the best questions. And we've collected the, the best six questions uh, for today's show. Now, before I dive into the show with Eric, I want to remind people out there that you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. We currently are offering a promotion that will be ending in the very near future that gets you a 50% off an annual membership. You're billed $53.70 one time, or if you don't want to go an annual route, you can go month to month, and your first month is just $1, and then $9.95 thereafter. Inside scoop, expert analysis, opinion, all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network, not just us. That's the big thing. By subscribing to us, you get to read uh, all of the, the sites and all of the updates. So Corey Foreman, the number one recruit in the country, is looking at Oregon after decommitting from Clemson. You can go and read what the Clemson reporter is reporting and what they're hearing, and then go see what the Ohio State or what the uh, USC or the Georgia or the LSU sites are hearing from their sources on the Corey Foreman recruitment. And plus – get ours as well instead of just getting one side's opinion. So a ton of reasons, a ton of value for you to subscribe to DuckTerritory.com today if you can afford it. Uh, Eric, we were just t- discussing good questions, good wide range of topics. Uh, I think we're talking a little bit of working football, a little bit of recruiting, uh, probably some uh, other sports as well, NFL draft, lots to get into. Yeah, and I like where we're starting the show here with the first question from at Andrew J. Cohen 22. Are you cautiously optimistic that with the planned opening of U of O in the fall via the U of O president that Oregon football will also be playing in the fall? Realistically speaking, how much time does the, pro- the football team need to get prepared for game day? Um, let me just read a quote really quickly from Michael Schill, the University of Oregon president. This story came out earlier this week. Given the realities of the COVID-19 crisis and the fact that there are numerous variables outside of our control. It is unlikely that our fall quarter will look just like last fall, but I am committed to doing everything in my power to enable us to return to the type of residential university that is so special for all of us, end quote. So uh, there is, I think, and just to answer your question, that first part, I think that has to make you somewhat optimistic about things moving in the right direction. But I think the one caveat here with all of this is just like, we have no idea what the future holds. I mean, uh, there were for weeks and weeks we didn't think that you know there was really any chance they would cancel the NCAA men's and basketball tournament and women's basketball tournament or spring camp or the spring game, and yet those things were canceled. And I think we're now talking about forecasting even further in the future. Um, at the same time, yeah, you have to be, I think, really optimistic based upon the fact that Oregon is at least making these plans and making these plans public. And, of course, this could be, you know, to, to kind of 
calm down some of the the concerns. I'm sure there are a lot of them, but I think going out and, and making a proclamation like this is somewhat significant. Uh, Matt, what was your initial reaction to, I guess, just seeing that come through earlier this week? Well, I think it's positive news in, in, a, in, a, in a situation where there's not a lot of positivity right now. Um, but like you said, it's very difficult to kind of project where things could be at in two or three months when, look, we're, what have we seen in the last seven weeks and how much has changed in that seven weeks? And, you know, projections go out the window, good and bad. And yeah. um, I, I think it's optimistic, yes, that it, it, it's cautiously optimistic that Oregon is planning to have fall camp or have uh, school open for fall term or for fall quarter, I guess I should say, if we're being correct. Um, realistically speaking, how much prep time does the football team need to be prepared for game day? I, I, I think if athletes, and this is the biggest thing, it's not just the athletes, it's this entire student body. They have to be in class. It can't just be the student athletes, you know, doing online classes and then playing football um, with the rest of the school, you know, kind of still doing internet uh, learning. Um, that that's just not going to work. Uh, that doesn't feel right either. Uh, I think let's just assume that the U of O can go through the the process of having on campus learning in the fall quarter. Meaning that starts, and this is this is interesting for Oregon because most people think, oh, September seventh, September 9th, That's probably when you know the the, the school is going to start, right? Early September. Well, Oregon doesn't Oregon doesn't start on you know the the, the normal timeline. Their their fall fall quarter, I believe. Let me look it up real quickly here. But yeah, their fall quarter for begins on September 29th. I mean, think how far out that is. And I, I just have a hard time thinking that if, if, if athletes don't get on campus by July, that they're going to have the proper time to train and get in condition and be prepared to play a, a season of that magnitude. Yeah, I think, and if we're just being, and this is the hard part about answering that kind of question is like, could they get prepared in a month? Yeah, I mean, you could just say that we're gonna maybe maybe you have a legitimate fall camp that starts right about where it would normally start in early August, and that sets you up for hey, we have our our you know our traditional four week fall camp. We start the football season, and everything kind of rolls naturally. You could have that, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that is taking place in terms of getting a football team prepared, not just in terms of the athlete itself, but from an administrative perspective, from a training perspective, from all of that stuff that you would usually be doing during the spring, during the summer, that you could potentially be missing out for. I mean, Matt on, I mean, we talked about, and people who listen to the podcast are familiar with how important the fourth quarter program is. I mean, we're talking about kind of almost potentially scrapping all of that if the students can't get to campus by the summer. Um, and, and then you're, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think the thing that's potentially concerning is just if you give them a month, could they be ready for a season? Yeah, but would they be physically, like, in the right preparation to be there? Because typically you've, you've got a, a program that is spending the entire off season basically training, getting stronger, getting more flexible, those type of things. If you remove that, I think you open up the possibility where you see more injuries take place or, or you know, and maybe – 
I guess from a playbook perspective, Oregon is also breaking in a new offense. So there's a lot of these kind of variables to consider. So like, yeah, maybe, maybe a month is the, the number that sounds right based upon the fact that's when the fall camp would start. But I think there's a lot of other attributes and kind of things you have to consider um, with the decision because it's not always that simple. I think, I think this is why I'm starting to lean towards the idea that we'll see college football played. We'll probably see some kind of social distancing still be placed on fan attendance. That could be like Austin Stadium. Let's just make it a round number. I know it's below sixty thousand, but let's just say it's sixty thousand. That that could that could be Oregon saying, you know what, we're we're going to allow a third of capacity to ensure that everyone social distances, and we're going to have twenty thousand fans in the stadium. Or they 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 could have a full stadium or what i think is probably more likely is some form of uh friends and family get to come and and watch and those are the only people aside from you know the administrators uh the referees the media uh and, and we see a smaller number and very limited access for fans to get in but football is still being played but i i think what will happen is and this is where I lean to think of where it's going. And it's total guesstimate. I'm not an expert in, in all of the diseases and, and, and all of this. But I, I, I just think we're going to see the non-conference season scrapped. And we'll see everyone play conference games. And how many of those games, that is to be, you know, it could go a whole bunch of different ways. But I, I think we'll see a season played at some point. And we'll see basically just conference games being played because look, the reality is, is a lot of college athletics, other sports need football to be played so that they could play like from a financial impact. And so it, I, I think they'll play some kind of a season if it's deemed healthy and safe to do so in any kind of manner because the NCAA and the athletic departments and the conferences, they need to, they need to be able to cash in on the TV revenue and all of that that comes with their sport because it pays for everything else to be played. And one thing that I think stands out when you kind of outline a possible return without a non-conference season is just how much of a bummer that would be for, for this specific season for, for Oregon football and this, the, the three incredible programs that they had. They still have scheduled. I shouldn't say had. It's not past tense because nothing has been. But if that is what happens and you lose the games against North Dakota State, Ohio State, and Hawaii, um, that would really be a bummer. I think that was one of the biggest pulls about this season. So, um, obviously we're speculating, but some seasons you don't necessarily mind maybe missing out on some of these non-conference games. You look back to a couple of years ago where there weren't really any marquee teams, but this year is certainly different in terms of uh, those marquee teams and missing out on an opportunity to host Ohio State would be, uh, I think, pretty tremendous in terms of the disapp- disappointment level, I guess. Um, that kind of is a natural transition, though, into our next question from at Midwest 2020. Football question, what team or teams do you wish Oregon would have a home-and-home home against? Um, and we should probably start by acknowledging, I don't know if this question was asked before or after, but Oregon has now set up a three-game series with Utah State at the end of the 2020 decade, starting in 2027. They go to Utah State in 2028, come back for a return in 2029. So that has already been established. 
Oregon has a lot of really good non-conference game schedule. Matt put that in the article that when the Utah State story broke. I mean, you look through Baylor's and Georgia's and Michigan State's over the next 10 years. Matt, do you have a school or two that you wish Oregon had added there? Obviously, maybe we're presuming this is further down the line because Oregon's pretty well set over the course of the next decade in terms of non-conference opponents. But do you have a school A or school B that you go, man, it'd be fun to see Oregon play them? Well, yeah, I, I think everyone has to go with the we want Bama chant, right? Of mm-hmm. um, Everyone's talked about an over, I don't know, 10-year period, 15-year period of what would it be like if Oregon played Alabama. We've always wondered that. Maybe not that long, but, uh, you know, at least during the Chip Kelly day, days and then the Mark Helfrich, Mariota days, everyone kind of wondered what would it be like if Oregon played Alabama. I think now with – the tie to Mario Cristobal with Nick Saban and uh, the, the blueprint that Oregon is installing under Cristobal, which he very rarely ever says Alabama. He just says the previous stop or my, you know, th- that other place. Uh, but it's he's he's trying to emulate things that Alabama has done. Um, I, I would love to see that, but I would. There's a couple other games that I think would be really interesting, really fun, and games we just haven't seen all that often that 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 are played out. One, I think Notre Dame would be an awesome game to be played. Uh, I think that's a that's a historical place. It's a it's got a big cachet, a big reputation. They're a good program. Uh, they're widely respected. I think it would be awesome to do a home and home there, um, covering a game. South Bend seeing touchdown Jesus. That would be sweet. Uh, I think Florida and the SEC going to the swamp would be another one. Uh, the Ducks and, and the Gators just don't play each other. Uh, and they're very similar and kind of fast and, and spread offenses and aggressive defenses and uh, over the last few seasons. And uh, I think that would be a cool one going to the swamp and in the state of Florida. And, and from a recruiting standpoint, Oregon would love it because they're trying to get into – uh, the state of Florida more and more under Cristobal and some of his other assistant coaches that have ties to to that area. Um, I I would also love to see uh, a, a series against a team like Oklahoma. I know Oregon has played Oklahoma before. They've gone to Norman and they've come to Eugene. Uh, but that would be another one where if, if it's been what? 11 years maybe or so, more. Maybe, more. maybe more, 15 years since yeah, they've played. About 15, I think. Yeah, I, I think that would be pretty cool, even though it's kind of happened in the last two decades a couple of times. But uh, I think those are two really good programs that are that are good fan bases and uh, would be fun to watch as well. well. You've run through so many of my choices here, Matt, so I don't have a lot to add on. But I think Alabama is the obvious choice, and I think I don't know if we're ever going to get that, but – that would certainly be move the needle for a ton of ton of reasons, and I was gonna where you ended was actually where I was also gonna start in terms of I think it would be fun to play Oklahoma again. Maybe a series with Texas would be something that I don't know if Oregon has done. I know they've played Texas in bowl games before. I don't know if they've played in, in during the season before. That could be a really fun one. Um, I, I think. Uh, Texas obviously is one of those programs that's kind of just larger in life. Everything's bigger down there. Uh, obviously, we were just in, in Dallas this last year, but that was against a different opponent. I think being on campus there 
um, in Austin would be potentially really, really cool. Uh, and there's a bunch in the Midwest. Notre Dame's a great one. I think Michigan, obviously Ohio State is something that's already kind of set up, but um, there are a variety of schools that would be fun to see played. Now, obviously, the, the other reality, which I said at the start here, is that these these games we'd be talking about probably wouldn't be scheduled until after 2028, 2029, because Oregon is so locked up here. And who knows what the landscape of college football would even look like by that point. Things could be very, very different. So um, that throws maybe like a strange wrench in this hypothetical. But at the same time, I think, yeah, I think Matt Rant did a good job of running through a lot of the ones I agree with. Obviously, Alabama is probably the one that you just kind of land on and go like, boy, that would really check boxes uh, on a number of different lists for a number of different reasons and make a lot of sense. Third question from at Duck Scribe. How would you create a virtual season? Uh, it's a tough question. Um, first, my first instinct is like, I probably need to be a lot better at computer programming because I think I'm thinking that I'm like creating some sort of like simulated sports <laughs> by creating a virtual season. Um, I think this is so complicated to, to try to figure out like in terms of when we talk about virtual season, I, I assume this is a season with no fans at all. Um, we've already kind of run through some of that prior. Um, I think kind of be just so bizarre. And we've talked about this in the podcast before, Matt, I know, but a season with nobody in the stands besides the players. Like I, at that point, is that didn't become really worth it? I guess it would be my, my, my next question, Matt. Um, I, I, I don't want to see like crowd noise pumped in and, mm-hmm. and, all of that. That being said, I would hope that college programs, college coaches, administrators, um, pro too, for that matter, would be conscious of the fact that, hey, this is a unique time. And maybe peel back the curtain a little bit and allow more access to things we don't normally get. Because we could, we could get a ton of storylines and, and things that we don't normally appreciate or, or even see if no one's there. Like I would love to see, like, what if they, what if they mic'd up every single coach? Yeah. And they, they told the coaches, look, we're going to mic everybody up. We're not going to see a, a, a coach just verbally attack a player like if he screws up um that's not going to be shown but maybe seeing the the human element of a db getting beat and the coach you know showing the tail end of you know the 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 part where the coach is is you got to do this you got to do this why you know don't do this and then show the full human element of it where Hey, you got this. We're, we're behind you. Yada, yada, yada. And seeing the teammates come up to him or what if they, what if they allowed, I don't know, some kind of camera in the, in the whole team meeting the week before. And, and after the game is played, we, we, we kind of get, you know, 30 minutes of, you know, I don't know the production, how it would be created, but you know, you just get some behind the scenes type stuff. Like I, I just think there's a ton of, a value that could grow the interest in the sport for not only just football, but for basketball, for baseball, for softball, track and field, that if if there's no fans, get creative with what we can show, and I think that would create a pretty cool product. Uh, I think that's good, too. I, I think maybe you'd, you'd want to loosen some of the celebration 
penalty rules. Just let let the play, let the players do whatever at this point, right? I mean, and and obviously a yeah, lot of the celebrations are, yeah, let them spike it, let them do whatever. Obviously, and I was going to say a lot of the celebrations are towards the fans, and not having fans in the crowd might be kind of weird. It's kind of like your celebrate at that point. If you don't have 60,000 people celebrating for you, maybe you should be able to do whatever the heck you want and celebrate with those who are there, which are your teammates. I mean, um, don't so attack the other team, that. but... Right, yeah, yeah, of course not. But, I mean, yeah, if, if you can find ways... I, I think finding ways to make the make it less rigid, um, and I don't want to... You don't want to change any... You don't, you don't change any of the rule book to accomplish that. You don't, like, take away targeting, allow people to just, you know... You don't throw safety out, out the door, because that's kind of the reason behind a lot of these restrictions to begin with is human safety, but... I think, yeah, you think you could find ways to get creative and, and change things around a little bit and use it maybe as a season, because it is a weird season, to maybe explore and experiment with some different rules or different things that you think would be interesting. Uh, again, I don't want to say different rules as in completely changing the game, but like, think about like in men's basketball, like the NIT at the end of a men's, men's basketball season, they experiment with like a different shot clock or the three point lines at a different spot or the keys a little bit different. Maybe find different ways to incorporate that into making a season just a little bit more interesting and exciting because it is such a weird season um, to begin with. But, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I think I think there's there's people that I – th- I think there are people that are would be very, very disappointed with any season that's different from past seasons. And I think the unfortunate reality is is what we're getting this fall, and this goes kind of back to what Chill, the president of the University of Oregon, said, is that the fall semester – is not going to be, or for fall quarter is not going to be like last year's fall quarter, but they want to get everybody back on campus. I think the football season, same thing. You're probably not going to be a, a football season like any previous football season, but let's just find a way to play a season. And I think, like Matt established, find a way to make it kind of fun, creative, a little different. Get the create ways for if the fans can't be in the stadiums for them to feel like they're there um, on their te- you know, sitting at their couches and, and watching on television. I. We gotta get past this idea that the normal season's gonna happen and it's, and that's the only thing that's acceptable. Like, you just gotta get past that. Like, it could happen, sure, but there's probably just as probable of a chance, and if not better, that some kind of altered version of a normal football season will happen. And just that, that idea just needs to go away, I think, of, of uh, we're only going to have it play out if it's like with fans. And uh, I, I always laugh when, you know, some kind of AD or coach comes out and says that, you know, we're not playing football unless the fans are there too. It, it means too much. And, da, 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 da. and it's like, well, that's awesome. But then you just basically just nosedive your entire, potentially your entire athletics department's operating capabilities for the entire year. Good luck. Like there. People are going to have to adjust. We've all made adjustments in our life, and uh, athletics are going to have to do the same. And I, I think people are need to get on board with the idea that things will look different for at least a year in 2020. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back. I'm Matt Bramer, Scopa with me as always for the Odds and Audible's podcast. We're doing the mailbag edition, three questions in, three questions to go. Let's keep this uh, boat going. Next question from at who's the Voss. What Oregon sports moment slash season do you wish had a secret behind the scenes footage that would one day be made into a documentary? This question obviously referencing the last dance documentary series on ESPN, which has been pretty fun to watch considering no sports is actually going on. It's, uh, that, that series has been very detailed. And of course, if you were to translate this to the Oregon sports world, um, there are a lot of options that come to mind. Uh, probably, I mean, just if, the most translatable probably would be this last year's women's basketball season uh, in terms of everything that took place. Obviously, that's very, very recent, so we'd be talking about a documentary series that comes out in like 2045 or something like that, probably based upon the timeline of when uh, the Jordan series came out. But obviously a ton there with the season ending the way it did, with just the reactions of that, with the Kobe death and the, you know how that impacted things, that, would, that stood out. The one in terms of a football season that stood out for me would be Chip Kelly's very first season. Uh, it starts yes. with the, the LeGarrette blunt punch, which, I mean, boy, you could probably do a full episode on the way that game ended uh, with Chip Kelly, uh, Chip sending the, uh, the refunding the ticket for a fan um, with the season seemingly completely in the toilet, you know, expectations completely going out the window with the way that played People out. People were wondering if Chip Kelly was the right hire. Exactly. Uh, and then the way that season turns around with Michael James, Michael James' uh, assurgence as a star running back, they win the Pac-10, they make the first, you know, they make a Rose Bowl. Obviously, they don't win that game, but um, I think that season had so many layers to it um, that that would have been really fascinating to to kind of have some behind the scenes footage. Um, and then, of course, you have the the two the two uh, national championship uh, you know appearance seasons that would be standouts there. And then on the basketball side, Matt can probably answer this, but there's got to be a, a bunch that would be interesting there too. Uh, yeah, I think from a basketball standpoint. Um... I would I would probably argue like maybe the Bull Bull season so the Sweet 16 year of high expectations the injuries uh, Bull shutting his season down uh, the team not getting together and playing well and then at the very end they click and, and they make the Sweet 16 the Final Four year would be another one <clears throat> um, I think that would do a really good job I think uh, that Sweet 16 that first one 2012 2013 would be one I remember. Um, covering that game, and after Oregon beat St. Louis, the media was allowed, or no, it wasn't before the media was allowed in yet, but CBS was following that team. Mm-hmm. They were embedded with the team, and there's actual footage of this out there, and I just remember um, watching when they released it, um, and then seeing the tail end of it in person when they let us in, but they gave the speech of good game and, and went through the things all the team did well and and said that, you know, they're one of 16 teams left in the tournament. And he, he highlighted that there was like 350 whatever it is 
teams that play college basketball and, and there's only 16 left and that they're one of them. And I remember Tony Woods was a, a senior on that team and he was crying. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking in to that, that locker room and Carlos Emery is sitting next to him and, and speaking, he's not yelling at him, but he's, he's talking in a loud manner saying, yeah, it's real tone. It's real. It's real tone. And just seeing how you know, Tony Woods was a highly regarded recruit, didn't really pan out at Wake Forest, came to Oregon and is living out his dream and, and having an impact at a high level for a good basketball team and kind of seeing, you know, the, the, the journey of four years, you know, cultivate and get into the sweet 16 and another senior recognizing just the pure joy and emotion of that and them celebrating that. I thought it was a really cool moment. I'd love to see more of that. Um, I know this was a one year, you know, one off, but I would love to see back, you know, behind the scenes footage from a football standpoint of the 2016 season to the 2000, the culmination of the 2018 season. Because think about all the stuff that happened in that two and a half year run at Oregon football. That would be, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's breaking the rules of the question, but you go into a season with high expectations. You have a freshman quarterback and Justin Herbert take the job away from Dakota Prukop. You have 70 to 21, mm. uh, score from Washington at, at Oregon the day that, uh, Elijah Molden committed to the Huskies. You then have the firing. You have the game winning, before that you have the game winning pass from, from Herbert to Carrington to, and at Utah, which maybe were like, maybe this saves Helfridge's job. And then the Civil War, which then leads to his firing, the hiring of Willie Taggart and all the excitement that comes with that. You have Carrington's dismissal. You have Royce Freeman's decision to come back to school. Uh, and then you have the Florida State flirtation and, and what's the room like behind closed doors and that. And then you have, Taggart leave after getting the Vegas Bowl invite and then the, the, the push within the team to, to have Crystal Ball be hired. Uh, and then you have uh, all the the hirings and, and the lead up to the 2018 season. Uh, and you have that year play out in the way it did. And Oregon, you know, beats Washington, Oregon, uh, suffers some really bad losses on the road, uh, the following weeks and, and, and then the rise back up and then ends with the Red Box Bowl. You don't have to show the Red Box Bowl, but just think about all the, the craziness that happened between the 2016 season to the end of the 2018 season. That would be fascinating. Yeah, actually, I would even condense it to just just give me the like six week snapshot of or maybe like the full season of 2017 Willie Taggart season to write about when he's takes the Florida State job, everything that's going on behind the scenes there, what the what the what the players are saying and thinking if that's uh, available in this behind the scenes footage, any team meetings, any discussions that are going on. And then, yeah, the push to get Cristobal uh, hired amongst the players, or I should say promoted amongst the offensive linemen and then the whole team. I think you're right. That would be – and then him building that 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 uh, 
that coaching staff, which has been so successful and starting to recruit and put together and, you know, kind of put together some really talented recruits, obviously Penny Sewell is a part of that class. Um, yeah, man, there's some, there's some good stuff just in that short period too. And you're right. Like, yeah, I think maybe we take it for granted sometimes how crazy the last three to four to five years has been for, for Oregon football from playing in a national championship to the lows of 2016 to now kind of the resurrection of the program. It has been a fascinating four or five seasons being around this program. And you're right. A back behind the scenes footage of that would be, would be fascinating. So no wrong answers on this one. There's a lot of right answers. In fact, I'm probably kind of motivated to now put together some sort of list or kind of compile some sort of ranking of my, my favorite possible, uh, sports documentary moments from, from Oregon over the last couple of decades. Cause there are so many that would be very, very fascinating. All right, number five from at Tosh Myers. What type of player can we expect Jason Jones to be this season and through his time at Oregon? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. I think we did this, discuss this a little bit in the past. I don't know if it was last week or a couple weeks before, but um, Jones is a player that both of us think has a ton of upside. Um, big, big body based upon what we've seen on social media recently. Looks like he's done a lot to improve his kind of the way his body is put together, his weight looks like he carries it a lot better. He, his shoulders look broader. It looks like he can move a little bit better. All of this, of course, is uh, subject to change, and it'll be interesting to see what he looks like when he r- arrives at Oregon's campus. But um, in terms of expectations, how about I answer this season, and then you can maybe answer the second part of this, Matt. But for, for this season, I think it would be quite a bit to ask him to be more than a kind of fifth or sixth defensive lineman in the rotation. Maybe he's part of your second or third unit, and he fills in at both edge spots. Maybe he can fill in at nose tackle if, uh, you know, in certain packages or if they go a little bit bigger, maybe he can be a fourth or fifth defensive lineman. But I think Oregon has enough veterans that they've got a pretty clear starting core and even kind of a fourth or fifth guy in place that make a lot of sense. So I think it's hard to expect Jones to come in and push for a starting spot. Um, at the same time, I don't think, I don't know, at the same time, I, I think a redshirt year could maybe even be a thing that benefits him long-term in terms of getting his body in shape. So um, I think there's a number of ways you can go about it, but Jones is certainly a player that I'm excited to see right away. But my, my expectation is not that we're going to see him be, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau 2.0 as a freshman or even uh, a Jordan Scott or even somebody that, or even an Austin Fallu as a freshman maybe is a good comparison where he was uh, starting some games playing as a reserve but being pretty productive. I don't know if I expect Jones to even be that type of player. Um, you agree with that, Matt, for this season? And then what do you think for, for kind of the long term for Jones? But that doesn't speak to – I mean, that, that's not, that doesn't mean – I don't think you were implying this, but that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player. I just, not, I think, not at all, no. I think he's walking into a situation where if it was like what Jordan Scott and Austin Folio stepped into for the 2017 season, he would play right away. And yeah. – there would probably be a good chance that he could win a starting job. But from where Oregon's at in 2017 along the defensive line to where they are now going into the 2020 season, it's night and day. Like there's so much depth and there's so much talent and there's a lot of it that's young. I mean, I understand that Folio and Jordan Scott are both going to be seniors in the 2020 year, but Kayvon Thibodeau is only going to be a sophomore, and you've got four freshman defensive linemen 
that are all in position next year as red shirts to be really, really as red shirt freshmen to be in a position to, to help Oregon. Right? Brandon Dorless is a sophomore. Am I, am I right? Yeah, he played enough. Yeah, so he he counts. So he's a sophomore, but Dorless and you you've you've got Keon Ware Hudson and you've you've also um I'm, I'm Christian, Christian Williams. Williams and then Suavi Poti. Uh, those four guys are going to be key pieces to the team um, along with Kayvon Thibodeau for the next two or three seasons. Thibodeau more like two because he'll be he'll he's already being projected as the number one pick for the twenty twenty two draft. Um, so I think Jason Jones doesn't need to come in and have to play right away. I, I think there's a chance that he does play at Oregon and it, it boils down to do you think he's a four year player or do you think he's a five year player? Because if if he's a four-year player and he goes pro after four years, there's no value in redshirting him and then only getting three years of, of production with him uh, on the field. Whereas if you think, hey, he's going to be a five-year guy, then yeah, redshirt him and because you still get four more years of him playing and making an impact at Oregon. But if you think he's going to be a player that, hey, look, after four seasons – at worst, he's off to the NFL, then you play him in 2020, even if it's limited snaps, even if it's five, ten snaps a game as a as a true freshman, but he plays in eight games because it, that's better than getting nothing out of him Be, because you, you, you plan to redshirt him, and then as a redshirt junior, he goes pro. Um, and, and that also that's – and that's where things get difficult because you're not taking into account – maybe – you view him as a five-year player, but he takes a huge leap in development in year three, and after year four goes pro as a redshirt junior, um, and and that's probably a good problem to have because he's gotten significantly better. Um, but I think Jason Jones has a chance to play this season, has a chance to make an impact. Now he won't be a guy in my mind, at least as of today, that starts. Beyond that, it wouldn't surprise me if if he moves into a position where he's the the best defensive tackle backup behind Jordan Scott. And it wouldn't surprise me if Oregon says, you know what, we think you can play, but uh, we're going to redshirt you and, and we're going to sit, you know, we're going to sit you for a year and, and, and you'll get in four games. But after that, you're done. Sixth and final question from another Eric at Eric 1600634. Which Oregon undrafted free agent has had the best NFL career? Hashtag odds and audibles. I had two here in the last decade or so that really stood out. In fact, they played at Oregon around the same time. The first one, and this is probably the most obvious one, is LeGarrette Blount. He won three Super Bowls, uh, two with the Patriots, one with the Eagles. He led the NFL in rushing touchdowns in 2016. He was an all-rookie selection. He ran for over 1,000 yards twice. He was also undrafted, and we talked earlier kind of about why that was, the punch that he threw that led to his suspension for basically the entirety of his senior season at Oregon. Um, but he, in terms of his pro career, he's up there for, for kind of an all-time great, if you just want to look at the fact that he won Super Bowls, the fact that he had individual success, the fact that his career was was pretty long. and He played for over 10 years in the NFL. Um, I, I look at him as someone that you go, man, in terms of guys that have gone undrafted from Oregon that have played at a high level, he fits that bill. The other one that came to mind was Spencer Pacinger, 
Um, he obviously didn't have the type of individual success of Blunt, um, but Pacinger went from undrafted to playing eight seasons in the NFL. He won a Super Bowl with the Giants. Um, you know, he was more of a special teams guy than a, you know, defensive player, but at the same time, carved out a role, made a long career as a player that was not drafted. Um, anyone on your end, Matt, that, that kind of stood out that I might be missing? I, I felt like Pay Singer was the best guy, um, all time at Oregon to do that. I mean, he has a show that's basically based off of his life called the all American. Um, I, I think that speaks volumes of just a, he, like you ran through eight years of success. He, or eight years in the NFL. He won an, uh, a Super Bowl. He's, he's had impacts. He's won, he's had success on the field. And he's also had a career that off of it, people gravitate towards and, and think is, is a cool career and a cool, a, a very cool story that they've now turned into a TV show. Um, so I, I, w- I would say Pacinger. Yeah. And, and, and I will say if there are other choices maybe from prior to our timeline that, or time frame that, uh, you think stand out, drop them in the comments, throw them on social media. Cause I'm sure there are a couple of guys that are older that didn't get drafted that went on to have very long careers. Um, but the reality is, you know, I think Blunt and, and Pacinger are two of the very, very best. Um, it's certainly that I can remember at Oregon for quite some time. Real quick, who of the undrafted guys you feel like has the best chance? To, you know, in five years that we said this was the guy, this was the the guy who had the best career. Guys from this year, uh, we actually did this as a story on the site. You can check it out. It's part of our DT roundtable. I think that went up on Monday night. Um, I picked. We each could pick two, and I picked two, but I'll just narrow it to one. And it might be the same one you picked, but. I think Calvin Throckmorton is probably the most logical one. I was, again, shocked he didn't get drafted. We talked about that on Monday's show for a variety of reasons. Um, really didn't think he would be a player that slipped unpicked. I thought there's no way a team going to let a guy with his career resume go that far, but that's how it played out. And I, I just think he has everything it takes to be a successful pro, even though he wasn't drafted as one. Um, and my other pick in the story was Bryson Young, not because he has the same career resume as Calvin Throckmorton, but, but just because of... I think the resiliency he showed during his time at Oregon of, man, he came in and was a highly regarded recruit, didn't get a play for basically three straight seasons. I mean, Harvey played, didn't redshirt, by the way. Um, if he would have used a redshirt year, he could be back for this upcoming season, um, which is probably a scenario he wouldn't mind. But but to work from that to entering his senior season without having really played much, to earning a starting spot, to having a really strong senior year, winning a Rose Bowl, and then parlaying that into a potential NFL future, I just think that's a great story. And I think you kind of bet on a guy who's proven he can kind of stick through difficult circumstances. So I think those are two guys I like a lot. What about you, Matt? Uh, I, I think I went with Throckmorton. Um, don't really need to say much beyond he was yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> a huge shock that he didn't get drafted. And I said Jacob Breland because – I I will forever remember this. NFL.com had a mock draft that was released mid-season before he got hurt, and he was viewed as a potential first late late first round draft pick, like 31 or 32. I think he was being projected to go to the Patriots. Um, so I, I think when healthy, he was having a year the NFL scouts loved, and so I say Breland, and he's playing for a team at the Ravens that are 
going to use a lot of tight ends with their rotation as well. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. For Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Bream, we'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.